The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. What's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. The short story at the end of the episode will be from 25 Perfect Days Plus Five More. That short story is Six Hell Marys, narrated by my buddy David Thompson. But before we get to that, we have a very special guest today. His name is Derek the Demon, and he comes from hell. Derek, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, having me today. Uh, man, this, this is pretty cool. Oh, man, I'm just glad that you were able to make it. Um, I didn't even know you guys had reception in hell. Well, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, that's kind of a new development. That didn't even happen until Jeffrey Epstein showed up. So, Derek, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, I know you said you come from hell, but like, is it, there a specific area of hell? Have you been there your entire life? Well, what do you think? Uh, of course I've been here all my life. Well, I mean, I, I travel a bit. I, I, I go to Earth and, and all that, and it, it's cool when I do go. Uh, I, I can teleport. I can do all kinds of stuff. Dude, you can teleport? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a demon. Uh, of course I can teleport. What else can you do? Oh, man, you you don't even want to know. Uh, it gets kind of, you might get a little bit scared. Dude. I really don't think you're going to scare me. Well, I could show up in your bedroom tonight. How about that? No, thanks, man. Uh, I don't think my wife would ever forgive me for that. Or she would be incredibly grateful. She's never had me in her bedroom before. Um, dude, that's not cool, man. Is that how all demons are? Or are all demons assholes? Especially when they're guests on other people's podcasts? I don't want to speak for other demons, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm my own demon. I, I don't know about other demons, but they probably say the same shit. All right. So, dude, why did you even want to be on this show anyhow? If memory serves me right, uh, you're the one who asked me. That's actually my assistant. Um, she said you sounded like a cool guest, uh, that you were into some of the same stuff. So I thought we could have a talk about, you know, MMA and cannabis, all that. Oh, yeah. Cannabis. Oh, I love it, man. I, I smoke that stuff all the time. And MMA, you do you do watch that? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I, I train. Uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good fighter. Um, yeah, I, I, I can I can do some damage, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I like to watch fights. Uh, people getting hit and punched and kicked and and all kinds of stuff like that. That that, that that's kind of right up my alley. And I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but I heard that you still live at home with your parents. Well, maybe you're not trying to be a dick, but uh, that doesn't mean you're not being one. Fair enough. And what's the big deal if I live at home with my parents? Uh, I got I got free room and board. Uh, all the heat I want. Uh, I don't know what else you want. Uh, what else do you expect? Uh, like you're so cool that you never lived at home with your parents? No, dude, I actually did live at home with my parents. Even after college, uh, I had a bad motorcycle accident. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't really want a real answer. <sighs> really? Okay. Um, so what else? What else? Uh, what else? What else? Uh, Traumatic brain injuries. Your profile said that you had traumatic brain injuries. I got beat a lot as a little baby. And then and then 
as a little toddler and then a little boy and then whatever comes after a little boy uh i don't know so yeah pretty much my whole life what were you doing in order to get beat like that i don't know i just that's just what happens down here you just get you just get beat makes it tough so is there i don't know you got anything in the works you know uh what uh what do you want to tell people oh man i always got something in the works pretty soon pretty soon we're gonna have a really cool podcast i mean way better than yours uh it's gonna be super cool me and my buddy we're gonna be doing it it's just uh just us and then some other dudes and then we're just gonna be talking and it should be really cool uh what are you guys gonna do on the podcast uh anything specific do you guys have like a a mission or any kind of statement you're trying to make no, not really. Uh, just want to have fun by review stuff like books and movies and uh, I don't know, stuff like that. All right. Sounds kind of cool. Um, all right, man. Well, dude, I appreciate this. I'm going to wrap this up kind of quick because, uh, and I'm sure you're busy. I'm busy. So let's just say, um, yeah, maybe when your podcast starts, you can have me on. Eh, it's all right. Um, I, I think we got plenty of guests already. All right, dude. Well, anyhow, is there anywhere that you would like people to go to to follow you? If, if someone wanted to, uh, where can they find out more information about you? Uh, right now, that's a little bit of a problem. I, I haven't started my own page yet. I, I probably should. So uh, I don't know. Just tell them to go look at your stuff, I guess, because you, you shared some of my stuff. So uh, yeah, just go to author Mark Tullius and uh, yeah, check it out on there. All right, Derek. Well, thanks for stopping by. Uh, it's been a real pleasure, and I'm sure we will have to do this again sometime. But now it is story time. So let's go out on this 25 perfect days plus five more. This short story is six Hail Marys. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoy the story. Hope you have an awesome week, and I will talk to you later. Peace. Six Hail Marys, June 26th, 2050. Terence Potter, pastor of St. Luke's, shook the rain off his jacket and hung it on the sacristy coat rack. After running his hands through his wet, thinning hair, Father Potter dried them on a hand towel and entered the dimly lit church. He stood in the sanctuary and saw the building was empty, just as he'd expected on a weekday afternoon. The only problem was the attendance for Sunday Masses fared only slightly better than the non-existent congregation. And if the way had anything to say about it, that number would be the same. Father Potter headed down the main aisle, his footsteps echoing off the walls. As he came closer to the back door, Potter spotted the outline of an imposing figure standing in the shadows. He'd almost forgotten Wayne would be on duty that the church was never empty. When Potter reached the end of the aisle, he nodded at the big man, noting the bulge under Wayne's sport coat. Potter moved toward the confessional they had recently built against the eastern wall. He tried to think not of Wayne's weapon, but of the man's faith instead. Wayne had once been a trusted assistant to Reverend Murphy, and now he watched over Potter's diminishing flock, the way tattoo on his arm erased 
a true sign he no longer believed their lies. Potter entered his half of the wooden confessional and took his seat. If people like Wayne could see through the way's propaganda, maybe there was hope. Maybe the false church's stranglehold on all other religions would loosen. Maybe the government would realize they shouldn't be working hand-in-hand, a supposedly mutual relationship that only aided the way by giving them the financing and advertising that Potter and so many other churches truly needed. Probably not, though. Potter had faith, but he was also a realist and a mathematician. The numbers didn't lie. While the soft patter of rain played on the roof, Potter waited. Confessions were down, but they often brought in some of the church's special visitors, and if he were able to help at least one of them, Potter would gladly sit all afternoon. Thirty minutes had gone by before the door of the adjacent box opened. Potter waited in silence, wondering if he would recognize the penitent. He couldn't see through the mesh wall dividing the two halves. After thirty years of serving the church, he was very familiar with nearly all his parishioners and didn't need to see them to know who was there. The confessional door closed. The person on the other side of the wall chose to kneel instead of sitting. Potter took this as a sign that the person was giving themselves up, trying to get closer to him and through him to the Lord. But he also understood that sometimes people would do it so they wouldn't have to speak as loud and risk anyone overhearing their sins and learning their desires. The soft, timid voice of a distraught man drifted through from the mesh wall. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. How long has it been since your last confession? Far too long. Any idea, my son, as to how many months it has been? Not since my wife passed away. It's been seven years. And after a brief pause, the man whispered, The controllers killed her. Potter sat upright. He needed more information, but it was dangerous speaking about the government, even in a confessional. If the man had come for help, Potter couldn't turn him away. Potter pretended he hadn't heard the criminal outburst, hoping the man would understand that it wasn't safe to speak so openly. I'm so sorry to hear that. Be comforted that she is now in a better place. Thank you, Father, but I came here because I have a sin to confess. I am listening. I have an eight-year-old daughter and a quadriplegic brother that I care for. They rely on me, but I am only one man, and my job does not provide well. Go on. I'm becoming sick, and I don't know how much longer I can continue to work. I can't afford much of the uncontaminated food, so what little I do get, I give to my family. That is very thoughtful and brave of you. The Lord looks kindly on your sacrifice. I can't keep it up. I worry about what will happen to them if I die. I don't know what else to do. My sin is that I've had the desire to steal food. I'm tempted to break the law and go against the controller's restrictions. Please forgive me. All doubt was removed from Potter's mind. This man was obviously new to the confessional. Whether he knew the correct procedure, he had come for help. I understand, and of course God forgives you, Potter said the secret code. 
For your penance, you must say six Hail Marys. I understand. Now for the next few minutes, I want you to quietly reflect on your sin, so you do not commit it again. I will. Father Potter activated the recorder tape to the underside of the bench. His pre-recorded voice said, I want you to think about your sins and your resolve to never commit them again as we say these prayers. Please say the words with me. After a brief pause, the pre-recorded Potter began reciting the Hail Mary, with Wayne following along in the background. When the first prayer neared its end, Father Potter pressed the small button beside the recorder. With a slight squeak that Wayne would have to fix, the mesh wall slid to the side, allowing Potter to see the gratitude in the dying man's tear-filled eyes. The tape continued rattling off the prayer. Potter held his finger to his lips and motioned for the man to follow him. Instead of exiting the door leading back into the church, Potter pushed open a secret door that led to the old rectory. He placed his hand on the frail man's bony lower back and guided him into the dimly lit building. After quietly closing the door behind them, he whispered, Continue straight ahead. We don't have much time. As they hurried down the hallway, the man said, Thank you so much, Father. I didn't know if the stories were true. In there, Potter pointed at the door to their left. Inside, the thin man entered the room, which had once served as the priest's dining area. Each of the four walls was covered with stacks of canned foods. On top of the table, in the middle of the room, were boxes of powdered milk and bags of bread, and although the bread was over a week old, it was made from clean wheat. The man's eyes went wide. I've never seen so much food. Where does it come from? Potter wouldn't give away information that could only lead to trouble. I have helpers. Grab a box from over there and fill it quickly. Take what you need, but remember, there are others like you that come here. I understand. The man picked up a cardboard box and filled it with green beans, chili, corn, tuna, and beets. When he spotted the mandarin oranges and crushed pineapples, he gazed at Potter. My Vanessa's never had fruit. She's going to be so happy. Potter checked the time on his pager. That's good, but hurry. He piled a few more cans into the box. After placing a bottle of milk and two bags of bread on top of his supplies, the man said, I'm Enrique Salazar. I will forever be thankful for this. Potter moved into the hallway and headed for the door leading outside. He peeled back the curtain and stared past the bushes concealing the entrance. The rain had stopped. Which car is yours? I'll run out and put the box in your trunk. When Enrique didn't respond, Potter assured him it was all right. No one will see. I have no car. Never got my license. Potter didn't give in to the panic. That's fine. I'll place the box outside the door two hours from now. Come back, then. You'll want to transfer the food into a duffel bag or something less suspicious before you leave here. Enrique checked his watch. Two hours. And if you're caught, you didn't receive the food from here. 
Understand? Completely. Okay, set it down right there, Potter's pager chimed. I haven't seen one of those in years. Potter looked down the hallway. It's attached to the confessional. When you first entered the confessional, you locked the door behind you, didn't you? Enrique nodded. The pager continued to chime. You're sure? I turned the switch, just like they told me to. Potter held up his finger to silence the man. He took a step toward the church and heard voices besides those on the tape. The controllers were on to him, and they'd gotten past Wayne. Hurry, Potter said. He ran for the exit, unlocked the deadbolt, and pushed the door open. Someone pounded on the confessional door behind them. Take the box and run. Enrique slipped out the door and squeezed through the bushes. Potter worried the man would be too weak to get away and went after him to help. The hallway door went flying off its hinges. Freeze right there, a voice barked from the confessional. He'd known the day would come. Potter put up his hands in surrender, but then a black hover car raced into the parking lot and dropped inches from Enrique, the bright red San Angeles controlling force decal blazing on the door. Before he knew what he was doing, Potter ran at the car, yelled at Enrique to move. The driver's door opened and the agent stepped onto the wet asphalt. Potter flew by Enrique and flung his chest against the car door, crushed the agent's calf and chest. Enrique froze, stared at the crumpled agent. Potter yelled for him to run. Stop! Both of you! The agent from the rectory and his partner struggled to get through the bushes, their black body armor snagging on the branches. Stop! Go! Go! Potter screamed at Enrique, who was finally on the move. He considered jumping into the controller's car and speeding off, but he knew he'd be electrocuted when the steering wheel didn't register his thumbprints. The agents from inside emerged from the bushes. The taller one told his partner, Get the runner. The agent took off toward Enrique. Potter tackled him around his legs. As they hit the ground, sliding on the rain-slicked asphalt, Potter held tight, knowing every second he kept this agent on the ground increased Enrique's chances of getting away. The agent struck at Potter's face with the back of his fist, trying to break the priest's clench. He hit him again and again, but the only thing to break was Potter's nose. While Potter struggled to keep the agent's legs pinned to the ground, the taller agent ran at him. Potter braced himself but did not let go. Potter felt his ribs break when the agent kicked him the third time. Let him go, the agent shouted over the hum of his electroprod. Now. Potter accepted his fate and held on. The agent raised the electroprod and brought it down. Before it struck Potter, a loud blast ripped through the afternoon and the agent was knocked to the ground, his head shattered, the electroprod skipping across the asphalt. Go, father. Wayne pulled Potter off the agent. Go. Potter faced him. Wayne's left arm was gone, the proton particles from a controller's gun eating away at his shoulder. Now, father, I'll take care of them. Wayne pulled the pistol from his waistband. 
aimed at the agent Potter had tackled. Enough blood has been shed, Wayne said to move. The agent by the hover car fired a particle beam into the back of his head. Potter watched as Wayne's head disappeared. He barely heard the hum of the electroprod before he felt its shock, his body convulsing as thousands of volts coursed through him. The agent turned off the prod and pulled out a retractable baton that cops had carried years before. Father Potter, you shouldn't have disobeyed. You left us no choice. Potter found he could not speak. The shock had stunned his body, and he couldn't move a muscle. The agent looked at his dead partner, then back at Potter. Potter could only stare at him as the agent extended his baton, then brought it crashing down onto Potter's upper arm, again and again. The agent continued to strike the arm after it was already shattered. It wasn't long before the other agent joined in and began pulverizing Potter's legs. As the baton blows continued to rain upon him, Potter prayed through the pain, praised the Lord's name. It didn't matter that his operation was destroyed and his life sentenced to prison. And even though Wayne and an agent had died, an innocent man had escaped. God worked in mysterious ways. Potter forced himself to believe that God had plans for Enrique, that the man would do great things. All it took to change the world was one man. As another bone snapped, Potter hoped with all his heart it was Enrique. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.